0: Welcome to the Club and Country Podcast, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage. I am guessing you can tell by the voice that this week's episode is not brought to you by two people who have been covering the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines, but rather just one of us. NSC radio voice Wes Bowling is out of the office this week. So I am Tim Sullivan, the owner of ClubCountryUSA.com. Do not worry though, mine will not be the only voice you hear this week to break down a couple of Nashville SC's newest players. I brought in a pair of outstanding guests. To talk Teal Bunbury, who is leaving the New England Revolution to join Nashville SC, I brought in Tanner Ribello of Trifecta Sports, and to discuss striker Ethan Zubak, uh, recently ex-LA Galaxy, I brought in Josh Guessman of the Corner of the Galaxy podcast. Uh, We'll continue to bring in guests to break down all the other additions to the roster in the run-up to the 2022 season, so stay tuned in future episodes as well. But also in this episode, I will answer a few mailbag questions, but first, a couple topics of major interest in the early shout. Since last, Wes and I talked to you, one of the fan favorite Boys in Gold is Gone, defender Alistair Johnston, a 2020 Super Draft pick, turned Canadian international, went to CF Montreal for over $1 million in general allocation money, plus a sell-on fee should CF Montreal sell him overseas. Um, That won't make the fans happy. (laughs) There is an emotional attachment to many of these players, as there should be. And the weatherman will be tough to replace as a personality almost as much as his on-field contributions. Uh, Wes and I will break it down a little bit more in a future episode. But from my perspective, it's a deal Mike Jacobs would have been crazy not to make. A million dollars for any defender not named Walker Zimmerman is always enticing. And there are reasons to believe that NSC got away with uh, a little bit more than the market value in trade. Alistair Johnston so uh, when that's the case you know that Mike Jacobs is definitely gonna money ball it Uh, personalities be damned in other transfer news this one is squarely in the rumor becomes reality category at least it looks like it's headed that way according to mlssoccer.com's Tom Bogart and confirmed by our own league sources Nashville SC is closing in on signing former New York Red Bulls midfielder Sean Davis Wes and I have been talking about him for a few weeks now first in NYRB we'll never let him go terms and then Hey, it seems possible terms. And hopefully soon we'll be breaking down what he brings. And soon we'll be breaking down what he brings to the 2022 edition of the Boys and Gold. But I don't want Wes to miss out on all that fun. So we'll cover that one when it becomes official. Now we bring in a pair of guests to bring you everything you want to know about the new striker pair for Nashville SC. All right, to talk a little Teal Bunbury, we bring Tanner Robello on the pod. Tanner is the founder of Trifecta Sports, where he's been covering the New England Revolution and other sports in the region since 2016. He's also the newly minted communications director of North American Soccer Reporters, joining me on the board of that organization. Tanner, how are you doing? Good, how are you, Tim? Oh, I am doing super well. Very excited to get to learn a little bit about the newest or one of the newest boys in gold, uh, which is a very weird way to talk about an adult man. But hey, the the, the conventions of talking about soccer are what they are, I guess. Um, first things first, uh, longtime MLS fans are, are certainly familiar with, with Bunbury, but not all Nashville SC fans have been following the league throughout his career. So what sort of player is he kind of on the broadest level? He's a hard worker. He's willing to do pretty much anything he's
1: asked to by the coaching staff. And I think that is rare in a striker usually you think about a, a forward and you know they're looking for the back of the net but for teal he'll pretty much work any position the coaching staff needs so he'll work back on defense he'll play away from the goal but if you need him to score he will as well he still has some legs um you know he still can have some pace at 31 years old um but you know primarily for the revolution last year he was coming off the bench for them he was a backup mm-hmm. forward and he would come on and uh, create some pace and create a different look in the attack so I think if you're a Nashville fan, you're getting a player that still has energy um, and will play hard for you and, you know, could do a bunch of different things that, you know, they're going to like to do. Yeah,
0: I mean, he has played both striker and winger in his MLS career. Which one did he play more of, or was it just whichever whichever depth player that they needed to have come off? It's really whatever they needed
1: to mm-hmm. the revolution. And, um, you know, he kind of flipped back and forth between winger and um, striker uh,
0: okay. throughout the season. So it was really just uh, depending on the situation they were in. Which one kind of worked better for him or, or was it just basically he was equally good, whether it was, you know, books coming off or, or whichever winger needed to come off. I think he looked better as a winger, but that's also where he okay. primarily was more working back on defense. Um, okay. So, so you mentioned, you know, a, a good defensive winger, I'm sure Nashville SC fans, I'm sure Nashville SC's technical staff is not going to be surprised by that, but they'll be very happy to hear it. What sort of, attacking characteristics does he bring you mentioned that he's not a guy who maybe needs to go out and get goals to kind of be happy on the pitch what sort of game does he bring on that side of the pitch yeah and he can
1: score goals he paced (laughs) the revolution (laughs) in 2020 and goals with eight goals so when you need him you can get it um usually it's big situations with teal i feel like he steps up especially late in games he's able to use some of his pace to get behind the back line and uh, put in the back of the net
0: Mm-hmm. now he does he does still have that pace as you mentioned but it sounds like especially kind of maybe being used as a super sub he might not have like the 90 minute legs to go um especially out wide but maybe at forward either is that probably fair to say at this point i
1: think that's a fair assessment i, mm-hmm. I think if you just look at but if you also look at the 21 revolution if you look at their forward group you had guys like adam Buxo, gustavo bow two dps so yeah for teal he was fighting for minutes with players who at this point are beyond his uh talent so i I would imagine the 90 minute consecutive matches are probably behind it, but I think he still has the denim for
0: being honest. Mm -hmm. Um, So he played over 1200 minutes. And, you know, as we've kind of talked about already, mostly as a sub, but um, he wasn't exactly like a a depth player either. He was kind of a a key player off the bench. What made him expendable for new England? Is it just maybe freeing up some salary, getting a 31 year old off the books? What is it that allowed them to say, okay, this guy can go in free agency. I think a lot of it was bringing in Sebastian Legette and they
1: were trying to clear Mm -hmm. up cap space. So I think Teal was the obvious person to go in that situation. And I think they
0: weren't really willing to protect him either in the expansion draft. So I think that played a big part of it. Mm -hmm. Now, um, you know, since you mentioned Legette there, this is a a revolution team that returns most of its important pieces. I would say he's um, he's probably the second most important piece that is actually going to end up leaving behind Tejan Buchanan. Is this... An upgraded roster, basically with Leggett with Omar Gonzalez, is this an upgraded roster on last year's you know record-setting team? Do you think that they can even be better this year? I don't think it's an upgrade, if I'm being uh-huh. honest. I think mm.
1: defensively it might be an upgrade. I think it may be a better fit for them positionally. I think mm-hmm. Buchanan, if you looked at him, he obviously is immensely talented with the Canadian national team and with the Revs, he was great as well. But I don't think Deshawn really fit what the Revolution wanted to do, and they sort of just put him in a certain place. And he was talented enough to play on the wing, but and not necessarily the formation they wanted to go with so i think formationally the revolution could be better but i think talent wise like
0: maybe be take a step back because yeah, yeah john bickinnon is that talented yeah and when, so you, when you get rid of a guy like that it's not like <laughs> it's not like you're upgrading even if it's uh even if it's a bit better positional fit i guess huh yeah um, you know, on that note, I guess a lot of Bruce's reputation within the league and in, in terms of how he's been successful has been like knowing the available talent pool in MLS, knowing who'd be a good fit for the team. Um, you know, taking it back to Teal, was that kind of a consideration for signing him in the first place, kind of knowing where he's fit in? Cause he's only been there just a couple of years. So is he a guy that Bruce sought out? Is he a guy that was there before Bruce? Kind of how did he fit into the timeline of all that?
1: Yeah. So Teal came over in a trade with uh, sporting Kansas city in 2014. Mm-hmm. He was okay, so He's off, been around. Uh, Yeah, he's coming off an injury, a season ending injury in 2013. So he'd been there for years and he'd worked with a number of coaching staffs in different roles. And, you know, obviously under Bruce, the talent of the roster as a whole kind of elevated. And I think, you know, Teal kind of stayed the same and a very consistent player at that. But I think every coach has certainly liked Teal Bunbury in the locker room. The players love him as well. And in the Mm -hmm. community, he's also a really big part of the community at
0: Humanitarian of the Year Award for the Revolution this year. So a great all around player. Yeah, that's that's I guess been another part of, of what has made Bruce successful is kind of figuring out how these guys fit together in the locker room when he's finding guys maybe to complement Teal. What sort of reputation does he have? You mentioned he's a popular locker room guy. Is he like a rah rah leader? Is he a guy who's you know kind of the, the quiet listener type? What sort of um, guy was was his team? Were his teammates going to see uh, when they you know hung out with him in the locker room?
1: Yeah, in the locker room, Teal was more of a lead by example type of okay. individual. He's always kind of level set, especially talking with the media after. You know, the horrific losses in 2019 to start that year, he always kind of kept a level head. And even when their highs were high last year, he kept the level yeah. head as well. So I think he's one of those guys that kind of keeps everyone an even
0: keel in the locker room. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the sort of thing that, that Nashville has kind of, I guess, emphasized when they're looking for guys. They don't always necessarily look for the best talents. They do look for the guys who who they feel will fit. Is he the sort of guy who's maybe, I guess, a little bit more adaptable to, to stronger personalities than if he's more of a lead by example guy? Like, you know, when you have Dax McCarty in the locker room, Dax McCarty is probably going to be your vocal leader. Is he a guy who can who can kind of complement that sort of leadership? Yeah, certainly. I think so. he
1: likes to have fun, too. But uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: um, and then you also mentioned the humanitarian of the year thing. That's that's, again, another thing that Nashville has really looked for in terms of finding new players, especially from within MLS. Um, what, what does he do in the community that has allowed him to kind of reap those sorts of rewards and, and, and be the sort of guy who gets, you know, humanitarian of the year recognition?
1: Yeah, he did um, Teal's Turkey Trot, which was a Thanksgiving um, mm-hmm. program. Um, and then he also did a back to school event as well uh, when shopping with kids. So he was been one of the more consistent community mm-hmm. figures in past years within the club.
0: Mm-hmm. Now let's take a little bit of a look. We, we kind of touched on this a second ago, but at the revolution in general, obviously it's difficult to improve on a record setting season. And when you lose guys like Tejan, like Teal, it's not necessarily going to be the case. Even when you add Sebastian Legette, um, I think most MLS fans <laughs> probably have a slightly higher uh, opinion of Legette than do people who only watch him with the U.S. men's national team, maybe. But what do you foresee for the revolution this upcoming year? Do you, do you see a team that's going to kind of be more of the same and, and keep chugging along? What sort of season do you expect them? to
1: have you know that's a great question and it's one i've been asking myself so to be honest <laughs> um there's a big question with adam buksa there's you know an expectation that he wants to go back to europe and mm-hmm. um, obviously if you lose a dp that you know was top five in league and goals last year it's going to be yeah. a hole so there's a lot of question marks i think with the team but if they return this roster like they plan on doing and maybe add a couple pieces here and there they still have one international slot as well i would expect the revolution not to be record setting obviously right. but i would expect bruce to be. Building a team that's focused on winning in the playoffs because I think the fact that mm-hmm. they were the supporter shield and they were setting all these records
0: might have been a little bit of a distraction to the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what what I guess went wrong was it just the distraction of okay, you know, we've arrived we're the record-setting supporter shield team and is that what went wrong in the playoffs? Was it that long layoff with the buy? What what kind of went wrong as they got into the postseason there? I think it was the long layoff, honestly, mm-hmm. with the buy and um, with the
1: international window. I think it really. um sort of put things on ice for them and gave them too much time to think about the game. And they actually, you know, they brought NYFC the penalties. Um, yeah. You know, so they were right there with them. Unfortunately, they didn't come out the win, but
0: mm-hmm. um, you know, you mentioned going forward, what is it that I guess allows them to be a more playoff oriented team versus regular season oriented team? What are they going to focus on? And um, I guess maybe shifting that balance a little bit.
1: Bring in winners like Sebastian Legent and Mm Omer Gonzalez. These are players that have lifted trophies in multiple leagues and multiple, um, uh, you know, at the international level as well. So I think that's about bringing in that winning mentality and players that have been here and won in MLS. I think that's a big part of it. Mm -hmm.
0: All right. Well, that has been Tanner Ribello, the founder of Trifecta Sports. Thank you so much for filling us in a little bit on New England Revolution, but a lot on Teal Bunbury. Thanks for having me. All right, shifting gears from one striker to another, it is time to talk about another recent Nashville SC signing. And like I said, another striker. And NSC picked up Ethan Zubak from the LA Galaxy in exchange for a 2022 first-round Super Draft pick. Josh Gessman is the host of the Corner of the Galaxy podcast, uh, which he appears on along with friend of the pod, Kevin Baxter of the LA Times. Josh has been covering the Galaxy since 2009, which certainly makes him one of the longest tenured independent MLS voices out there. Josh, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Tim, I think you found the best way to call
0: me old, but I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Hey, if I'm going to call you old, I better do it in a very uh, in a very glowing way. So. I, it, it,
2: it was great. I, we're, we're used to that. We talked with Sasha Clutchin not too long ago, and anytime anybody asks Sasha a question, they start with, well, you're a veteran. I'm like, we, we know that means old, right? And he's like, yeah, that's what so I'm like. Okay, cool.
0: Well, the guy that we're going to talk about is not a veteran. He's um, a little used, at least at the MLS level in Ethan Zuback. So mm-hmm. first of all, Like I just said, a lot of people probably haven't seen much of him. What style of player are they going to see when Ethan Zubak does finally hit the field for Nashville SC? I
2: mean, he's... At his best, he's a hold-up striker, right? Mm -hmm. So you're looking at a target guy. He has a little bit of the height. He has bulked up, and certainly last season, at the beginning of the season, he showed probably the best version of Ethan Zubak that we have seen. Uh, He got the starts. He played in 18 games. He started six games, um, you know, last year, and most of that was front-loaded towards the beginning of the season when there were some injuries and some other things that were sort of happening in midfield. The Galaxy didn't have all their players in, Um, and so Ethan Zubak sort of filled in um, in places Whenever Chicharito, either they wanted to move him in a different position or play mm-hmm. somebody up top with him. Ethan Zubak was sort of playing in those positions um, and, and doing that. So at his best, he's a target striker. He's, he's decent at hold up play. Um, I, I want you to say he's a really good guy. So I don't want everybody to think that this is like some sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It, the, the ceiling on him for me is low. Um, I just, I I've seen him play. I've watched him sort of work through it. Now that doesn't mean he can't be a very good MLS, you know, sort of journeyman kind of guy. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you're trying to look for is you're looking for, you know, sub minutes. You're looking for a guy who can come in and grind things out. If Ethan Zubak is, is nothing. He's a grinded out kind of guy. Now, having said that, Greg Vanny last year put him in, you know, a winger role and he was playing a winger role. And we called him the Chicha Whisperer because it seemed like Chicharito (laughs) didn't score unless Ethan Zubak was on the field. So, I mean, I'm going to tell you that I think the ceiling's low on him, but at the same time, I'm going to tell you that he can combine and he can do things and he can cause problems, um, you know, uh, against certain teams in certain situations. And and so for me – you know, I can understand him wanting to go because I don't think he was going to get time playing at the LA Galaxy anymore. And as we have seen over the years, guys who don't get playing time sometimes in LA go off and have perfectly wonderful careers other places. (laughs) So uh, it it wouldn't surprise me. But that's sort of what I see from from Ethan.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that he's he's got that hold up play to him that he's he's a bigger guy that makes him very different than Chicharito does a striker like Zubak leaving the Galaxy maybe help, I guess, clarify a tactical plan where they can kind of build around more of a Chicharito-type striker, or is it just kind of completely external to that?
2: It's external. I mean, I don't think he was really... uh, I don't think he was planned on getting as many minutes as he did. It was sort Mm -hmm. of necessity that that made it happen. And and listen, he played very well in the limited amount of minutes that he had, you know, just under 700 minutes last season. Um, One goal, one assist, that type of thing. I mean, those numbers don't jump out at you and say, oh, I'm getting a world beater. But having said that, Um, you know, he played in difficult positions and he played in crunch times and he played in, in games that mattered to the LA galaxy at the beginning of the season when they were getting wins. I mean, if you really want to say, you know, why did the LA galaxy struggle down the stretch in the second half is maybe there wasn't enough Ethan Zubak type players on the field. I think that would be a stretch, but I can understand somebody (laughs) trying to make that argument. Um, and I've seen that argument being made. I mean, there's, you, you, you look at the technical ability and there's something there. It's not some, he's not going to be technical with the ball. He's sort of a hit me move, hold the ball, Mm -hmm. fight off a defender, distribute, and then run around and sort of get in position to try to be dangerous at the next ball. Right? So it's a lot of that. It's a lot of moving forward, being in a dangerous position, stopping, moving the ball back, trying to find myself in another position. So it's a lot of movement and it's a lot of off the ball running. And he does that well. Um, So, you know, if that's what you're looking for, and so maybe it's a change of pace for what Nashville needs, then he can fill a role. I want to say somebody like Alan Gordon, if people are familiar with Alan yeah. Gordon, just being able to come in and change a game by the way that he plays. That's not Ethan Zubak, but it could be if he develops that skill set. Um, but that's sort of the same frame of mind that I sort of see him mm-hmm. in as, as as you're trying to sort of place him in, in the squad.
0: So from that perspective, it sounds like maybe there wasn't a natural fit with what the Galaxy want to do on a regular basis with what he does. So do you see this move as as something that's, uh, obviously, it it sounds like it's mutually beneficial. Does it seem like it's better for the player? Does it seem like it's better for the galaxy? Who's who's really, I guess, benefiting the most from from moving him along?
2: I think if and I don't have any inside knowledge on this, Saul. So I'll say mm-hmm. this is this is what I think. This is what I, I can see from the observation. Is I think he, you know at the end of the season, Greg Bandy said. I don't think you're going to play that much next year. And Ethan Zubak said, well, then can you move me? And Greg yeah. he said, yes, we can. <laughs> um, and I think that's how, it, and listen, you know, you have Dave Romney on, on, on Nashville, who mm-hmm. is, who is in uh, our, our show um, because I was a defender growing up, not at any level, let's not pretend I was good, but because I was a defender growing up, I am, I am partial to defenders, always have been, and I will, I will defend defenders. And whenever Dave Romney left the galaxy, I was like, this is a mistake. They're going to they're gonna see mm-hmm. that he didn't get enough playing time with the galaxy, and now he's going to go off and have a wonderful career, and he is doing that. Um, and I can see sort of that with Ethan Zubak. I think maybe not as much. I haven't seen as much from Ethan Zubak that gives me sort of that glimmer of hope that says, oh, you're going to be successful somewhere else. But I have seen enough players leave the Galaxy in this type of situation and go on and, and develop themselves into something that you didn't think and probably they wouldn't have developed in L.A. Um, yeah. L.A. as an offensive team is very difficult to break into. If you're a young American player, good luck getting, you know, a, 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 a some time in that offensive part of the field just because the Galaxy usually have three designated players and usually they're all centered either in the central midfield and that offensive part of the field. So you're probably not going to play. Um, for Ethan Zubak, this is a chance for him to sort of earn those minutes and, and find a place to do that. And um, I think he can be a good role player for you.
0: Because of that, uh, I guess, log jam up top a little bit. He played primarily for the USL team until the last couple of years when he got significantly more MLS minutes. Um, I don't know if you guys get a chance to watch a ton of the USL team. Did you see him develop in that time, though? Has he added to his game or is he a guy that you kind of know what you're going to get from from 2015 until today? Yeah. I
2: mean, there's, there's levels to that, right. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. I think he's, he's developed certainly physically in terms of being able to play more physical um, and being able to sort of bump and take those, those knocks whenever you're trying to play the hold up sort of number nine. So I think the USL level helped him with that. And so yeah. he got better in those skills. Um, but overall, I mean, I think you sort of know what you're going to get from him. Again, you know, I would love to say that the ceiling's, you know, super high. I just, Mm -hmm. I think you're going to get what you get and it's going to be worth it because you really didn't give up much in a first round draft pick. In fact, I'm shocked it was a first round draft pick. I don't, usually, I I don't know if, I I, I always say this, but MLS mandates that like you get something in return, right? Right. So it's not like they could have just given Ethan Zubak to Nashville, but MLS is always like, no, 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 something has to be traded. And Nashville is probably like, well, we're probably not going to use our first round (laughs) draft pick, so go ahead you can have it you know it's not certainly
0: you're getting you're getting a six year pro with with your first round draft pick basically. right there you go (laughs) okay okay. sure
2: sure. and it works um and so i i think he can play uh, again he's a role player he can come off the bench he can make things difficult on other opponents but he's not going to be a guy who creates his own shot it's not a guy who's going to finish i think high percentage all the time Mm -hmm. um but all those things he's still relatively young yeah, you, you could expect that those things get a little bit better. And who knows the change in philosophy, the change in scenery could totally lead him to a level, that I never thought he could get to. So
0: mm-hmm. now he is a guy from the Inland Empire. He came up through the Galaxy system on the way out, essentially for a pittance. Is this is this I don't want to say it's an indictment of the Galaxy's Academy system as a whole by any stretch of the imagination. But is it is it one that they feel like they they didn't get exactly what they were expecting out of the player as he came up through the system?
2: I mean, developmentally is always interesting for me because I think you're going to say that 90% of the players, you're not going to get kind of what you, the ultimate goal is. Uh, He played at first team. He played on the first team. He has games under his belt. He was an MLS player and, you know, in 2019 and 2020, he had 15 games played 2021, 18 games played. You're talking about a guy who knows what it is to be in major league soccer and knows how to play and knows the physicality, knows the travel. So you're getting that from a guy who's relatively young, And can can play soccer. So, I mean, for me, the the indictment against the LA Galaxy system is more that they have failed to keep a lot of the guys that maybe (laughs) um, had higher ceilings and sort of kept the guys who are middle of the road. And I am all for after you give a guy three years or two years into, you know, a senior level, if he's not where you think it's going to be, and you need that spot for something else, then you eventually have to go. So for me, I don't think it's a failure on this particular one, plenty of failures mm-hmm. you can talk about, just not on this one. I think it was smart for everybody to sort of say, I think it's run its course. We've done, yeah. we've done, we've helped you develop, you've helped us, and, and now we're good. Thanks. Appreciate it. You know, and everybody shakes hands and they go their separate ways.
0: What is back like off the field? Is he a guy that that his teammates really get along with him? Is he kind of a quieter guy who maybe doesn't have a huge reputation among his teammates? What What is he like? I don't, I
2: you know, it's it's interesting. Um, I don't know a ton about him, and mm-hmm. I think that that sort of goes to say something. Usually, I hear yeah. about things from other players, and the guy seems like a perfectly nice guy. Uh, just got married. He was on his honeymoon yeah. doing all that. I saw stuff his, his
0: wife was on her bachelorette party in Nashville, which is just come on, right? Perfect, perfect, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: Um, so, you know, uh, he was, he was living, I think, closer to me, so south of L.A., Mm -hmm. um, sort of in and around this area, which is usually for, I think a little bit of the quieter guys, right. You know, it's one of those, (laughs) it's like, Hey, you know, yes, I'm a professional athlete. I want to stay quiet. I'm not a South Bay close to LA guy. I want to be a little bit down maybe further in orange County, that type of thing. So, um, by all accounts, he's a super nice guy. Anytime I've talked to him has always been super courteous. So, I mean, I think you can expect that he's, he's a seasoned professional at this point too. He knows how to talk and interact with people. And I've never heard you either hear stuff about guys who are who talk a lot and who are boisterous or you hear about guys who are problems. And I have, it's neither yeah, of those. So right. he's, I think, I'm sure he's perfectly fine in the locker room. That's the middle, like two thirds of the rosters. I don't hear anything about,
0: so I'm sure <laughs> they're fine. Um, Real quick, switching gears away from Zubac for, for one last question here Nashville SC moving to the Western conference this year, Um, did not get to play the galaxy in, in the first couple of years in the league. Are LA fans excited to finally get a chance to play Nashville? Is it just kind of, ho-hum more expansion what is it like for for galaxy fans
2: let's see if i can get myself in trouble um <laughs> i said i said oh look nashville got promoted because being in the eastern conference is a cakewalk uh, as far as i'm concerned and everybody's <laughs> like no look who won mls got i really don't care um seeing the travel and just the things that happen obviously you guys more in a little bit more in the middle of the country still have mm-hmm. a lot more travel than a lot of the east coast sides, but the travel is going to be ridiculous for Nashville this year. If yeah. you look at just going to the West coast and coming back and doing all those things, I think that Nashville is a supremely talented team. I love the defense first sort of uh, mentality. I think they're. I think the, the games will be super interesting to play. I'm excited that Nashville is coming and that the galaxy will get to go play Nashville as well. So I don't know if galaxy fans are excited, but I will know that there's some trepidation as well. Whenever you take, you know, a top, you know, four or five team in the Eastern conference and you're going to move them over. I mean, I thought Nashville was my dark horse to take out the revs and do everything Mm -hmm. else there because uh, I was convinced that Bruce couldn't beat uh, the Nashville defense. Um, (laughs) So I was, I was all on that train. I was ready to go there. Um, And now seeing that they're in the Western conference, galaxy play them twice. I'll say, I I don't think galaxy fans should be excited about that prospect. Um, I don't (laughs) think the points are going to come easy. And those are points that, you know, the Eastern conference getting an expansion team like Charlotte I mean, you'd have to imagine that Eastern Conference teams are jumping up and down once again. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, look, we traded out one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference for a team that's probably in the middle to bottom, although we really don't know how Charlotte's going to shake out yet. But Mm -hmm. that's that's what I see. I see Nashville coming into a Western Conference that has Seattle. You know, it's like uh, Seattle and Sporting Kansas City and now Colorado. You have to talk about them as well are sort of the top three teams. And then it's everybody else. Nashville probably is the fourth team in that top top four. Mm -hmm. If that sort of holds out, if the Eastern conference translates to the Western conference, which sometimes it might be, but there's going to be a lot of teams in that center. And I think Nashville can probably be one of those leading teams on the, on that top of that core of the Western conference.
0: Is there an expected bounce back for the galaxy? Are they supposed to be right in that mix too? Or is it going to be maybe another year of, of a little bit of a disappointing season?
2: they've 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 done away with about 10 players 11 players about 11 slots open that type of thing and uh signings apparently are coming they're not here yet um so it's a tough one to sort of sit there and say oh the galaxy are going to be better i would assume that if the core stays the same i'm getting in trouble with these assumptions all the time if the core (laughs) stays the same and the Galaxy are more familiar with the system they're playing with Greg Vanny, what he's mm-hmm. expecting, all that stuff, that the Galaxy get better without adding any other pieces. But those pieces, one of them is going to be a designated player, are important. So, um, yes, I would love to say that the Galaxy, quote unquote, bounced back, even though they had enough points to get into the playoffs and got screwed by a call. Um, all of those <laughs> things are are absolutely, you know, can, can sort of fit in there. but. Um, I think it's a lot of unknown right now. I think it could go either way. I'm, I'm, I, I've watched this Galaxy team go from uh, go from highs to lows. And so uh, I, I I could see it being a low. I could see it being a high.
0: Well, Josh Gassman, the host of the Corner of the Galaxy podcast, filling us in a little bit on the LA Galaxy there, but more importantly, filling us in on new Nashville SC signing, Ethan Zubak. Josh, thank you so much for your insight.
2: Hey, Tim. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Many thanks to Tanner and Josh for each of their insights. Now let's run through a few quick mailbag questions. Uh, Even with Wes out of town, I did not want to give you guys uh, the opportunity to miss out on, on having your piece of the show. So we will start with one from Sean White, who says, I'm sure you guys are already going to cover this at great length. And Sean, I will interrupt you to say, yes, that is correct. But how does the addition of Sean Davis affect the lineup in the middle of the pitch? Uh, Wes and I will get into this in greater detail, uh, both when Wes returns, and hopefully the signing will be official by that point. But I do want to quickly touch on the implied question here, which is how would any new central midfielder fit into a lineup that already boasts Dax McCarty and Anibal Godoy, along with up-and-comer Brian Anunga? Um, Well, for starters, uh, when you look at Dax and Anibal specifically... Those guys each played about 2,200 minutes last year, which is just about two-thirds of what is available. So there are minutes available for somebody. And then um, the unfortunate reality is that Dax McCarty is getting up there in age. And I I always have to point out that I uh, feel very dirty saying that about somebody who is younger and in much, much better shape than than I am. But Dax does need to have his minutes managed a little bit. Um, And Godoy is almost certainly going to take part in multiple international windows with Panama. Um, There are FIFA windows in March, uh, May through June, which um, MLS is not participating in fully. And then September with the World Cup coming up at the conclusion of the MLS season, um, just 16 days after MLS Cup, the uh, World Cup begins. So that's something that Nashville SC makes it deep into the MLS cup playoffs, he's going to be uh, forced into a quick turnaround. So you don't want to have to strain that guy as he has his opportunity to probably play in his last world cup. If Panama is able to make it to Qatar. Um, so, when you look at what those two guys have in terms of managing their minutes, and then you look at what Davis, if it is Davis, which we're expecting, um, he's a guy who played every single minute for Red Bulls last year. Um, Dave Romney missed the finale for Nashville SC. The regular season finale was the first game he had missed in his Nashville SC career. And with that, he allowed Davis to become the only field player in the league to play every single minute for his team. So that's something that uh, when you look at his ability to go out there and play every single week, play every single game. Um, Nashville's going to give him the opportunity to not have to do that, but potentially the opportunity to be able to do that if he really wants to and is healthy over the course of the year. Um, at 28 right now, he's going to be 29 before the season begins. But at 28 right now, he's a couple of years younger than Godoy, a few years younger than McCarty. So he's got maybe a little bit more energy to him. Um, so that's something that you you take a look at and say, okay, this is a guy who – Um, you're going to rely on for probably more minutes than either of those guys. Um, I would expect him or really any incoming signing, any high-profile incoming signing especially, to lead the central midfield in minutes while um, both McCarty and Godoy get the lion's share of the remainder when healthy, And Anunga getting a slice of the pie as number four, maybe not quite the same size of the the piece of pie as he's had over the past couple of years. But um, when you uh, lose your minutes because a very talented player is coming in, um, there are still minutes to be played. That's something that I don't think Anunga will be all that upset about. Trevor Bryant asks kind of an offshoot of this question, which is, is there a version of the lineup that includes Godoy, McCarty and Davis? I keep brainstorming, but can't come up with a formation that doesn't leave Lovitz, Layal, or Loba off. So I guess when you, if you want to keep all of Lovitz, Layal, and Loba on the pitch, it's going to be a little bit tough. But if fans think back to uh, plenty of times in the 2020 season when there were striker injuries, or at at times uh, for game planning and game management purposes, um, game state purposes when Nashville was leading late, or trying to hold on to a draw late at times in 2021, you saw a, a flat four-three-three with with three true central midfielders. Um, typically, you saw a bit more of a, an offensive-minded McCarty in that situation, um, while Anungo would be a little bit, uh, I guess, recessed, sitting back a little bit deeper. But um, when you look at how you could fit all of the personnel into that lineup, you do have to leave off probably one of, of Loba or Leal. Um, if, you, if you get Godoy, McCarty, and Davis across that midfield three, Um, Leal and Loba can both play wing, I guess, but I don't think you want to take Hani Mukhtar off of the other wing or CJ Sapong out of that striker position at this stage. Um, So you do have four bodies for three positions there. There really isn't an answer. I do think Nashville SC is probably a little bit more likely to stick with the back four than we saw um, throughout 2021, certainly the latter half of 2021 when they shifted to primarily a back three slash five formation, which would have put Lovitz out wide. But I do think you'll see, if you do see three central midfielders, it will be more likely in a 4-3-3 formation. And yes, you do have to bring either Loba, Leal, Mukhtar, possibly even Sapong off the bench as a super sub in that situation. Um, I think too much talent is probably one of the problems that Gary Smith will not be too upset to have, obviously. John Mueller, a regular question asker in these spaces, asks Do you think the front office will add a forward thinking right back before the season starts, or will the rotation be Cozy slash Miller until the summer window? Miller is a solid but limited defensive fullback, whereas Cozy is obviously a bit of an unknown. Um, Obviously, uh, right back Eric Miller is not a popular guy among the fan base. I think. Most regular listeners, and, and probably a lot of the people who talk about Nashville SC in the places online that Nashville SC is regularly talked about, know that I think that Miller kind of gets a bad rap. Um, he is not going to be a guy who's going to go out and change games going forward. That is fair. Um, Irikoze Danaciano is a guy who, like John says, we don't know a ton about, and particularly not at right back. Um, I believe his loan contribution was at New York Red Bulls. I was sitting right there in the front row, and um, he he was a guy who came in as a central midfielder, even though we were expecting him to be a bit more of a right back. Um, he obviously has the ability to play either Virginia, the University of Virginia, that is, played him as a right back kind of in preparation for his professional career during his senior year. There's, the understanding was this is a guy who is making that transition. Let's get him ready for it. So it's definitely something that he's expected to be able to do. We'll see exactly how he fits into that. We don't know if he's going to be an offense first fullback. He was really not that at the college level. He's a guy whose skill set has been honed a little bit, playing with Oklahoma City energy last year, playing a little bit with Nashville SC in that game that I mentioned, and training with Nashville SC as well. So he's a guy who's um, despite being kind of old, he's, I believe he's a 24-year-old second-year player. That's not something you see a ton of in Major League Soccer nowadays, but he's a guy who's still developing, and we'll see how he fits in. All that said, um, I don't think an offensive piece at fullback is really all that necessary if you kind of want to port it onto what Nashville SC has on the field in that instance at this point. Anyway, Um, a right back doesn't need to be activated for the attack to function because you saw the attackers, the, the front three, the front five kind of come into their own over the course of last season. They don't need help from that deeper lying line necessarily. Um, Johnson was already a second banana to Dan Lovitz from the fullback position. Um, Lovitz was one of the better creators in the entire league from the left from a creation standpoint and Alistair Johnson didn't need to do it and didn't do a ton of it. I don't think uh, if you have to replace him, which obviously Nashville SC does have to replace him, that is not an option that they have at this point, but you don't need to replace him with a guy who's able to do a bunch of stuff of offensively. Cause that's not what he was providing you anyway. So we'll see exactly what happens, whether that's rolling with some of the guys who are on the roster right now or picking somebody up. I do think regardless of what style of player you see Nashville SC uh, pick up, they do pick up a right back. It's a position where they can really upgrade really quickly, Um, whether that's a guy coming from overseas, a a former U.S. international, for example. Um, Obviously, there are some guys out there who – Um, have gone overseas and could be looking to come back to major league soccer to get more playing time in the run-up to a world cup. Um, Deandre Yedlin and Reggie Cannon are two guys who probably want better club situations as they prepare for the world cup. I think either of those would turn Nashville SC from uh, a club that people think could be uh, an MLS cup contender to Potentially as, as, as good as number one in people's pecking order, number one to Vegas, for example, if you pick up a guy of that caliber. So it makes sense, regardless of the style of play of that right back, it makes sense to bring in a higher caliber uh, right back to come in and, and kind of complete this, this starting 11. Jay Robinson asks, with Walker... Anibal and Randall already representing their countries. Who do you think has the best chance to join them in representing his country? Um, That would be obviously Walker Zimmerman for the United States men's national team. Anibal Godoy, I have already mentioned, is a Panamanian international, and Randall Leal is a Costa Rica international who's um, at times at odds with his with his federation lately, but is a guy who. Um, I would expect if Costa Rica makes the world cup um, does not look super great for them right now, but if they do make the world cup, I would say that he's a guy who's um, certainly in the running to make it to Qatar with Costa Rica. Um, those three guys are are basically locks aside from that <laughs> layoff situation where it, it would um, potentially be player's choice to not be called up and, and less than until you get to that world cup situation. So when you look at the rest of the roster, um, the guys who's, who, are, uh, who have a certain number of caps, that's the CJ Sapongs and Dax McCartys of the world, um, those guys are, are past their international careers in all likelihood, I would think. Um, there's a chance that, that CJ Sapong could get called up um, in a crowded international window. I think it would be unlikely to see him actually hit the field for the United States men's national team. Even with a call-up, he would be more of a depth sort of guy. Um, for the reasons I mentioned previously, um, Dax McCarty is no spring chicken anymore. I hate to say it, Dax, but um, he's, a guy, he's a guy that you don't want to have called up for those situations because international breaks are for a guy who's 33, 34 years old to get a little bit of rest. Um, that means guys that we're looking at are those who probably don't have their first cap, and most of this roster is either too old to expect a first cap or not in their respective national team picture. And I'll include Dan Lovitz, it looks like, as, as a left back, no longer in the men's national team picture for the United States at this stage. There is just enough depth there. Um, you're looking at a guy like Joe Scali in, in Germany, who hardly has played for the United States men's national team because um, Sergino Dest, uh, you may have heard of him, he plays for Barcelona. Uh, yes, the Barcelona, not the one, <laughs> not the one in South America. This is a guy who um, can play left or right. Um, obviously there are right back options as well. I've already mentioned Yedlin and Cannon, both guys who are, are right back options for the United States right now. Um, Yedlin playing in Turkey and Cannon um, seeking playing time over in Europe, likely to go out on loan um, from Boa Vista in Portugal. But um, I, I think when you look at a guy who's currently on the roster who might have a chance. You could look at Cozy Dinasiano. We've already talked about him a little bit. Um, He could break out in Major League Soccer and and play for Tanzania. Uh, I believe Sudan is another country that he has eligibility for. Um, Those are not the strongest teams on the continent of Africa. Um, For CAF qualifiers, uh, for, for future African Cup of Nations, Maybe that's a chance for him to play. Would it be very soon? I don't think so. He would have to really break out this season to have an opportunity to do that, which means most likely the next international who is not Walker Zimmerman, Anibal Godoy, or Randall Leal, unless it's a a depth call-up for a guy like Dan Lovitz, is probably somebody who's not on this team yet. It's a guy who could get signed, whether from overseas. Uh, maybe a young guy who gets drafted through the super draft who can represent uh, a country other than the United States of America at this stage. Guys are not coming out of the super draft who are in the USMNT picture. So we'll see what happens. But at this stage, among the guys who are currently on the roster, it looks like there's a pretty much um, insurmountable hill for any of those guys to make. Aaron asks, looking at the first eight games away from home, what is a reasonable points tally we should expect? You can do what Mike does if you want and identify which games are winnable and which are not, referring to our recent interview with Mike Jacobs, wherein he told us that the technical staff basically looks at the schedule and says, win, 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 draw, draw, loss, win, and they go through the whole thing and say, okay, here's our expected points total. Uh, I am going to do exactly that. I will rip through the, the first eight games of the year and give my quick opinion on whether they should be expected to be a win, loss, or draw. Uh, I will not do a bit. Uh, Wes is not here to groan at me, so I'll not do a bit where I predict eight draws. But um, let's go from the season opener in Seattle all the way through the final home game or through the final away game before that first home game in the new Nashville SC Stadium. So let's begin. Uh, At Seattle Sounders, loss. Minnesota United, draw. FC Dallas, win. Real Salt Lake, draw. Columbus Crew, draw. Sporting Kansas City loss, San Jose Earthquakes win, and LA Galaxy draw. That is, if you look at the totals, a 2 2 and 4 record, which is 10 points uh, from those eight games. That's pretty good mark right there. Um, Nashville got 15 and 17 away from home um, last year. So they were just under a point per game last year, slightly below that 10 and 8. But um, that also doesn't include a few of the tougher Western Conference games, which will come a little bit later in the year for Nashville SC. So that would be a really, really good start before ever playing a single home game, um, especially when you assume you can build a little bit of momentum over the course of those home games, over the course of that kind of second, third of the season before you really get into the home stretch and can make a push for hopefully a supporter shield, but certainly a strong playoff position. That is it for another episode of the Clubbing Country Podcast. Thanks to all. We will be back to more typical episodes soon. It will not be mostly me talking at you with a wall of Tim Sullivan's voice. Um, Hopefully, we'll, we'll hear a lot more of Wes in the near future. For now, do not forget to rate, review, subscribe. Tell a friend about our show. We say this every week. This is something that probably goes in one ear and out the other for everybody who's listening. But we're very genuine about this. Please. Tell a friend about the show. Um, soccer in this city could could use a little bit more pub, and and we like to think we do a very good job publicizing it. Um, follow Wes on Twitter. Don't bother following me on Twitter. Follow him on Twitter at wesbowlingtn. Uh, we will talk to you soon.